always in every prayer of mine for you all making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart. For you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. And so, again, in Philippians 1, 7, as we worship and learn uh, uh, from our text, we see again that Paul encourages gospel partnership in the church as it changes believers personally and corporately as the church. And so let's study the text more closely. Look at verse 1 with me, where we will see uh, uh, that gospel partnership encourages. Again, we're going to see from verses 1 through 5 that gospel partnership encourages. And so um, we see that gospel partnership encourages believers. And so um, as specifically verse 1 and 2 show us that as we live and do ministry with one another, that that gospel partnership encourages believers so look at what uh, paul says in verse one he says paul and timothy servants of christ so paul's a smart guy he's he's trying to show even though most uh, texts say that timothy didn't write this that there is a connection here we see paul and timothy called servants of christ he's like hey we're doing this together he's making that point so literally the word servants is uh, slaves, where we get the, the, the Greek word slaves. We sometimes try, try, try to make it a little softer. But literally, Paul is saying we are slaves of Christ in the original Greek text. Paul and Timothy were a team. And Paul was a disciple maker of Timothy, who was a young man who he was discipling or maturing in the faith who would become a pastor in Ephesus, where we get our, uh, the letter Ephesians. And so if you look at the scripture, you learn that Timothy was actually this timid young man who was unsure of his calling, but that God used Paul to encourage him to fan his gift into flame, meaning to allow the Lord to ignite his passion for Jesus and use the gifts of ministry he was given uh, for God's glory. And so Paul tells Timothy, he says, don't have a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and self-control. And we see that Timothy uh, initially from 2 Timothy 2 was ashamed of the gospel. We don't have much detail, we just know that. And that he needed encouragement uh, like all of us do. And so at the end of Paul's life, we see Paul serving with Timothy. Um, and we see that, that Timothy may have even been imprisoned, imprisoned uh, with Paul or um, you know, in the same uh, uh, area, but we don't know for sure. But the point is that Paul wants to show an example of gospel partnership that he and Timothy have as he continues his letter. So that's just the, the first uh, little uh, beginning part there. Uh, sometimes we want to skip those parts, but there's a lot of history and things tied to what is, is being said here. So um, we see the next part of verse 1 then connects the leadership of the church to the, the, the church. He says, um, I, I mean, he says, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi. Um, and so we're going to look at that part real quick. And so he, he's addressing the saints. If you didn't know it, you are, if you're a Christian and you really be, you're a saint. Receive that, right? That's awesome. Paul is now addressing all the believers, the saints, meaning holy ones, 
That's what the Lord is calling you. Of the Philippian church, he was addressing them, uh, which was the Philippi was this prominent city near water in this region of what was known as Macedon. And this city is more likely where Paul first preached in what we classify today as Europe. And Paul wants these believers to know that they are saints or holy ones in the Greek. Or similarly, as the Hebrew word means, ones that were set apart for this idea of what? Being holy, being like God, who says, be holy because I am holy. And so if you are a Christian, again, receive this, you are a saint. Feel the weight and the blessing of that. From our holy God, just feel it. Paul connects, again, these saints or believers to the leadership of the church. And he says, um, again, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with, not separate from, with the overseers and the deacons. And so here we see an example of the word overseers, where we get our English word bishop or bishops. Maybe you've heard that in church uh, history or from different groups in, in the Christian faith. So uh, this word of bishops also known synonymously in the Bible as pastors and elders. We see those other words kind of are describing uh, the same uh, position or the same office. So throughout history, churches and even different sects that necessarily aren't uh, Christian have tried to understand the role of overseers. But the Bible is clear that there were these local churches and then there were what we see as two main offices and they're addressed here. And so... First, we see that overseers, also called pastors or elders, um, or uh, the, the older word. This is an older word we don't really use in English, so it's translated overseer. It's literally, uh, 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 it's uh, bishop, so it sounds like that in Greek. So it's called a transliteration, obis, uh, cause. so it sounds kind of like the way we say bishop. Again, uh, that was the title for these men who led the church. Again, all these words were synonymous for the same person and always for elders used in the plural, uh, not in the singular. Um, and so we see the office, again, uh, of deacons or ministers or servants. That's the same word. Anytime you see a minister of the gospel or a minister or a servant or a deacon, those are actually the same word. So the word minister or deacon or servant, again, are, are, we see these from Acts 6 are the ones who mainly do the administration and serving type duties of the church. While the elders have the oversight of leading, protecting, and uh, uh, again, overseeing the congregation. Acts 6 says it this way when we get the idea of deacons, uh, that the pastor's job, the elder's job, is prayer and ministry of the word. That's the job description. That's it. Now there's other stuff that comes with that. But mainly prayer and ministry of the word, meaning preaching the word, teaching the congregation, and leadership leading out. And so... Here at Redeemer, we hope to have a plurality of elders someday. Again, we're a church plant. We're in the process of this. It doesn't happen uh, magically. You see Paul have, uh, you know, a Timothy or a Titus, and he's kind of, it seems like he's setting one guy, and there's responsibility for this one guy to help bring this about. Um, but we, we don't want to just be a church with one pastor. That's kind of how we function now. But we want a plurality as we see this is the biblical pattern and norm. And so we also believe the role of elder in the Bible is for men. We believe the Bible's clear. And so now we know as a church, again, that we're a church plant and we're realistic and that developing elders or leadership takes time. The Bible says they should be tested and the same thing for deacons. 
And so we are committed to doing that. So I function here as Redeemer, as an elder, with an advisory board of elders from our sending churches. And so I also have other elders that lead, shepherd, and counsel me from the Village Church and the Redeemer Network of Churches. And so we're still our own autonomous church, but those brothers, we're, we're partnered together, and they are helping us in that. And so we are also going through the process with Britt Holmes, our executive deacon, um, to see if the Lord is calling him to be an elder. And the Bible says, hey, that's a noble task. Um, so Britt is a deacon, and he is qualified to be one that is aspiring to be an elder. So Britt functions as an elder, pastor without the title. And so he's functioning that way, and he is going through a process, and there has to be a process. The Bible calls us to that, to see if a man is called to this. And, and you're no less noble, whatever part of the body the Lord's called you to, deacon, elder, doesn't, there's no, like, hierarchy. We're just the body. We're different, and that's okay. So pastoral ministry is hard and no joke, and the Bible says not to lay on hands too early to a new elder. So pray for our church and pray for Britt and his family in this process. And so also, many of you here at Redeemer function as deacons without the title. And so in time again, we will have an official process to install deacons here at Redeemer, um, which we believe the Bible says can be male and female from the text. And so, again, we are a church that is growing and being established in this. Establishing a church takes time. A lot of uh, my friends' church, they've waited five years to install elders five years for deacons, and that's kind of the standard that we see with a church plant. Not always. Every church is different. But um, so we're going to be functioning in this way, and then in time, the church will see who are those elders, who are those deacons. And so establishing a church takes time. Man, I'm thankful for your patience and commitment to the church in that. And so the pastors and the deacons, the point of Paul's little intro is that they are to work with the church, right, meaning her saints, and so we're supposed to work together as partners in the gospel to bring, bring about God's kingdom and expanding or advancing God's kingdom by understanding and living out the, 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 the mission that God has given us in loving him, loving, loving one another, and in making disciples of all kinds of people for God's glory. So Paul then couples this common early Christian saying in verse 2, which reads, grace to you and peace I mean, he really means that. He's saying this from his heart, from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul gives this common gospel encouragement of grace and peace that comes uh, from our great God Jesus. And he is writing in love and unity uh, of true gospel partnership. So know that you have grace, this gift from God in salvation that only comes through him who gives actual peace in all circumstances. And you see, the encouragement of partnership now, it, we see this partnership in the gospel is really expressed in verses 3 and 4, which read this way. Paul says, and I thank God in all my remembrance of you. And, and I feel this deep compassion. I, 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 I pray to model that, as Paul does too for you guys. That, so we can have this deep gospel partnership. Why? As we remember one another. So we see... Um, this gospel partnership, there's this remembrance of one another. So this means what? Well, what did Paul do? It means we pray for one another. And my encouragement is that you pray for one another deeply. Maybe you need practical help. Make a list. Put it in your phone and pray for church covenant partners and attenders by name. And ask them if they need any specific prayer too. Maybe that's the uncomfortable part getting to know them, and this is what it means to have gospel partnership, to really pray for one another. 
God's main uh, uh, form of, of us having this intimate relationship with him is through prayer. Again, that's the elder's main responsibility, prayer and ministry of the word. And so to champion that, and I hope that we see that as champion from here, like, man, let's pray. Let's be people of prayer. We pray in the morning before we start. We pray about two or three times before we do our music. I'm praying at home. Uh, my sweet daughter prayed with me this morning. And just modeling this, like, it's a real thing, and prayer is powerful. And so, uh, again, this means that we have this gospel, gospel partnership to really pray for one another in our sin issues, in our decisions, and in just other burdens that we may have as well. And, and so we should also pray for blessings from the Lord, right? God still listens and answers our prayers. He gives us desires if they are according to his will and not ours. The Bible, you can play, pray for protection, pray for, for blessing. You see in verse 4, Paul then reminds the Philippian church saying, Always in every prayer of mine. For you all, making my prayer with joy. That translation seems a little awkward, but he says, always in every prayer of mine, for you all, making my prayer with joy. He says, so, so we have part gospel partnership as we always or often pray for one another. And so it's this pattern. Paul reminds us to pray often or, and always, not just for things or other people, but for one another. I think that's where it starts. Like we start caring deeply for one another, bearing burdens. And my, my, my encouragement is to ask the Holy Spirit to bring those covenant partners to mind. Maybe you have tighter relationships with a certain person or a certain group, and that's okay. Like ask the Holy Spirit. Who, if you don't know who to pray for, ask him. Beg him. And just start praying for one another. So he already told us who to pray for. Pray for one another. And so verse 4 also teaches us to have gospel partnership. As it says, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy. Joy, that's just a hard word to understand. Um, but we have gospel partnership as we pray with joy for one another. Beloved, Redeemer family, we can have true gospel partnership and joy as we pray for one another. The enemy wants to rob us of our joy. And one of the ways we fix this is we're in prayer constantly joy is not a mere empty happiness but it is true confidence in god's promises that we have hope and that while we may suffer we will not be moved or shaken by our flesh the world or satan in his kingdom and as we have this solid firm foundation in god that he is the one who sustains us and holds us up that he gives us hope God gives us joy, and one of our greatest ways to experience his joy is to pray for the saints, to pray for your church and your church leaders, your pastors and the deacons. Britt and I do our best to pray for you all by name every week. And so uh, let's pray for one another, for real, for real. Like Let's really pray and experience well, what the Lord can do this grounded, unshakable joy that we know no one can rob us from. I really think prayer sets that tone. I imagine what the Lord would do with and in our church, like if we really started to pray intensely, often and with joy for one another. I, I think we're doing this. I'm not saying that we're not. Don't be discouraged. But I, I know how it is. I, I'm human. You guys are human. Like prayer can be hard. It can be like, it's this dance of like, do I pray in the morning? What do I do? And I think 
the Bible is clear. Pray often. Remember. It's still remember, remembrance. It's like, man, when you think of somebody, send them a text. And say, I'm praying for you. And just pray for them right there. Like, that's a discipline. Discipline doesn't have to be militaristic. It can be this dance of abiding in Jesus. That's what discipline is. Trusting the Spirit in those things. This is why we, too, as a church, want to champion um, this rhythm, prayer in the city. Which, is, again, is one of our rhythms because we believe prayer is super important. And we encourage you to join us for the next one. That God would do something in that as we pray for our city and for each other. And so when your, your world is crumbling and you feel like there is no other way to make it and your joy is gone, man, turn to God and pray for one another. I, I think that can be a, a remedy as you're suffering that prayer heals and it gives us joy. So you can pray for the children of God, specifically uh, the ones in our church, and the Lord can give you the greatest joy in prayer in knowing and being loved by him who is our greatest joy. And so in, in verse 5, the thought of always praying for one another in joy is linked clearly to this partnership in the gospel for the whole life of the Christian. Paul hints at this idea of persevering or enduring for, for the whole of one's life. And he says um, that he prays as verse 5 reads. Why? Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. I mean, there's years of praying and communication. And so we see again that, that we have seen that true gospel partnership produces remembrance of one another. In verse 3, always praying for one another in verse 4, and then prayer with joy for one another again in verse 4. And so then Paul says in verse 6, and I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. So verse 6 shows us that gospel partnership changes one individually. Again, verse 6 says that I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you. So we're going to stop at that you real quick. The word you here is important. And so the word you here is plural as he addresses the church. But the gospel obviously transforms the individual. Um, and, and which then makes the corporate church stronger. And so gospel partnership allows us to be encouraged by one another as we celebrate and recognize salvation and the good work that he has done for us individually. So Christians should not be lonely. We, we might feel that way, but we shouldn't be. We should have partners in the gospel who are living life with us as we are formed up to be disciples and as we make disciples. And so we must know that Jesus individually, as it says in verse 5 and 6, began a good work in us. Like receive that, know that. And that he will redeem us individually. And that he will sustain us uh, individually. And he, and he also sustains the work that he has done in us. And the greatest way he does this through his church is with gospel partnership. This remembrance, like, hey, you're struggling, I'm struggling. Hey, you're doing good, I'm doing good. Hey, you're doing good, I'm struggling. Like, there's this... This joint partnership, we're going to talk about that in a second. This means Jesus is our redeemer who has saved us, and this should totally change us. Remember, the gospel, par gospel partnership changes us individually. Gospel partnership changes us completely, and we can hold hands together and realize, like, we are not alone. That our king is coming back someday, y'all. 
that our king is coming back someday for real. And he's called us to do this together. We are not alone. We are fighting this good fight that Paul says together as joint partners. It's like an image. It's like uh, going together, joint partners on the side of God who has given the victory and who has the victory. And so the text continues in verse 6 saying, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. So we must know that Jesus will complete the good work he began when he returns. Jesus is coming back again. And, and, and Amen? And he will return for us and his bride and there will be no more tears and no more pain and no more suffering. What a day that will be. I used to say that in my church growing up. Man, I can't wait. But again, verse 6 reminds us that he, God, will persevere um, us. Like he will be the one that, to bring us through completion of our Christian life. God is with us in our transformation uh, of growth, which is the process of being sanctified or holy. That's the, the actual word in the original language. Sanctus is the Latin word for holy, like Santa Claus. Have you ever heard that? Or Santa Biblia in the Bible. So that's what's happening. That's what Paul is talking about here. This process of being sanctified or growing in maturity as Christians. The, the word completion in verse 6 is a word which means coming to an end or being fulfilled. So then we see that our last verse in verse 7 helps us conclude today on how we should think of this gospel partnership. Also again translated, remember koinonia, that's the original word, translated fellowship, community, or joint partnership. I've been saying that all uh, sermon to now see where that comes from in the text. Again, that we as a, part, as a church family should have joint partnership. And so verse 6 sets us up to learn that gospel partnership changes us corporately, changes us individually and corporately as we know what this means. And so listen to, to verse 7 as Paul says, it is right, it's good, it's right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart. For you are all partakers, that's where we get this word joint, with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. So Paul is saying that gospel partnership changes us corporately. As we share in sufferings of the gospel, we see in verse 7, the bad kind of things or heavy things. And then as we share in the blessing of the gospel, the good things, the positive things that we see. Paul says that it is right that I should feel this way. He's saying it's not weird, it's not odd that we should have this deep dedication to each other. That we would cry for each other, fight for one another, sometimes even have conflict with each other. But that our dedication and compassion would be towards each other. He's saying this to the Philippian church. He's like, do this, guys. Have this deep compassion. I think compassion helps describe all of that. Paul has this deep love in his heart. He calls them, again, that partakers in Greek, meaning joint or connected ones, where, where we get this idea, again, of joint partnership or of this gospel partnership. And it has this closeness attached to this connectedness. And Paul says, in, he says, do this, he says, in the imprisonment, in the bad, in all Paul's struggle, join with me, he's saying. 
in his, and then he says, and in his defense and confirmation of the gospel. Man, the, the, the good, like when Paul's preaching and he's passionate, he's excited about the gospel. He is calling the Philippian church to have this joint gospel partnership. And Redeemer family, we are witnessing this gospel partnership happen amongst each other presently. Like just be encouraged in that. I know that I would die for each and every one of you and that I believe you would do the same for me. And I see covenant partners living out this ultimate mission, connecting with one another, praying, remembering, playing guitar together, living life together, and serving one another, eating together through the Spirit's power. Like, y'all, let's keep doing that in joy. Let's, let's not get tired of that. Our, our joy should grow in that we, uh, we will journey together, and it won't be painless. It won't be void of conflict or frustrations because we're human, right? No, there will be hard times when we don't understand each other. And, and we might not kind of like each other. I don't really know if I like that, but sometimes you're like, I don't like you today. I'm tired of you. But, but we're called to love each other, right? Like a real family. You ever not like your sibling? That happens. But in the midst of hard times, guys, Let's trust each other. Let's give each other the benefit of, uh, of doubt. Let's function with trust from each other and not suspicion and doubt. The Bible is clear that there will be suffering for Christians, but the book of Philippians is this book that gives us a beautiful picture of a church where true gospel partners, they endured in conflict and suffering, and, and that they also endured and persevered together in so much gospel good. And so Redeemer family and friends, like the kingdom of Satan does not want our church to live the way the Philippian church did as gospel partners. So remember, like we, we get to, we, we, God doesn't need us, but we get to share in the blessing of the gospel good. And Satan wants to destroy our gospel partnership. And I believe the Lord is telling us to fight, to walk in forgiveness, to walk in deep love and gospel partnership. And that he, he's going to sustain us. And he's going to pre preserve us until that, that completion idea, till that wondrous day when he returns and there is no more pain and no more tears and no more suffering. That we can actually have joy and hope in Christ that we are stronger together. That our partnership together would be so impactful as we proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ to Irving and to the world. God is using us in this now, and I know he will sustain us. Guys, as we continue to live out our mission to, to love God and to love people and to make disciples of all nations for God's glory. So in our text today, we saw that, that Paul encourages gospel partnership. And I hope you feel that and hear that like, man, guys, we are doing it by the grace of God and the Spirit. Paul encourages gospel partnership in the Philippian church as it changes believers personally and it changes us corporately. So family, my last encouragement is, is will you fight with me for gospel partnership? Will we fight together for true gospel partnership and will we allow this gospel partnership to change us for the glory of God? I love you, and, and, and I know that we love one another. So let's keep fighting the good fight in true gospel partnership. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you for this time. 
thank you for everything that you have given us. Lord, you have modeled this in the triune God, this deep partnership that we know, Lord, through redemption history, this gospel gives us this um, ability, Lord, to actually have joy in this gospel partnership and, Lord, to do it together. And so we just humbly come now asking you, Holy Spirit, to help us in this, to allow us to learn and worship now as we come and respond, Lord, in repentance and belief. Thank you for everything you've done. Thank you for every single person here, Lord. I pray that they feel encouraged by the words, um, uh, your words, Lord, written through Paul in Philippians, Lord, and that we uh, just rejoice now in response of repentance and belief. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen.